So we're in this series called Life in a New Reality. And the basic premise of our series is this. As believers in Jesus Christ, as children of God, those who have placed our faith in the, in the death of Jesus, whose blood covers over our sins, in the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, you've been placed in a new reality. The Bible uses words like old life and new life, old self and new self. The Bible uses words like you were once an orphan, but now you're a child of God. You were once an enemy of God, but now he calls you friends. The idea is you've been taken out of the old realm and placed into a new realm. And yet, like the first Corinthians, all around us, we see the old reality. How do we live as children of God in the, as children of the new reality when the old reality is all around us? And so today we're going to talk tackle the topic of marriage and of singleness. If you're single here today, this will apply to you. If you're married here today, this will apply to you. And we're going to tackle this topic of what does this look like in the new reality? Now, because of this, Jordan and Barbara Carell are good friends of Waukee Community Church. And in fact, uh, uh, Alina, our worship director, is uh, related to them. That's their daughter. And so uh, they're good. They had just become really good friends to Waukee Community Church. And their story is a story of God's grace. And so I've asked Jordan to come and share from the text today. And then he is going to take some time in the middle of this to interview his wife. And, and this is just going to be fantastic. And so, Jordan, would you come on up right now and let me pray for you as you get ready to open the word of God. Thanks, Dave. Heavenly Father. We lift up this time to you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts. Um, make us teachable and moldable. Let, would you change us, Holy Spirit, by your infinite power as children of the new reality. We pray this all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. 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 Keep your eyes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to look at uh, sort of a, a key verse or a theme that we're going to continue to go back to. It's in verse 35. Now, why are we doing that? I'll, I'll explain that in just a minute. But conjugal rights, um, gifts of singleness, gifts of marriage... Lust, divorce, remarriage. Have you ever heard, has anyone here actually ever heard a sermon from 1 Corinthians chapter 7? Well, I'm getting ready to hear my very first one. And I'm going to be the one preaching it. And so many of you are too. I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say. The, the summary of this message is in your bulletin there. It's sort of, a, I put it in the place of the title, Sex is so personal, so intimate, and so deeply spiritual that our devotion to the Lord is displayed by our response in what we do with what we have. There are several possible responses to a sermon like this. I think that God is calling all of us to deal with it, however, because in the new reality, God calls us to think his thoughts, to think like him about all subjects, including this subject. So our job today is to be faithful to this passage. Our job today is to be diligent to say what this text says, despite how all any of us might feel or think or what we might consider or how we might react. 
The main point of the application of this section is here in your bulletin, and I want to keep you focused on this idea of going back to and thinking back, now what in my life, and how is this going to apply? Listen for just a second to chapter 7, verse 35. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're using one of these red Bibles, it's on page 810. And I'd like us kind of all to be checking and looking very carefully at our text. The main point of what's happening here is we are going to be calling ourselves to doing a checkup on our devotion to the Lord. Are you ignoring personal issues in your life by the use of sex or the avoidance of sex? Or how are you handling that as a single person? How are you handling that in your marriage? And so what God calls us to here today is to look at our our, our devotion to the Lord. And we're going to be exposed by the word of God to our devotion to the Lord as the, as the way we approach sex in marriage as husbands and wives or as singles. Dave, you prayed, but we really need God's help. So I'm going to pray again. Father in heaven, would you please just lead us? Lord, this is, this is um, intense for us to look Deeply at this idea of my devotion to you. And, and as, I, as we ex- feel this, as we deal with this, pre- this uh, portion of scripture, we see that often our hearts are divided. You're calling us to a, a, a full heart, a, a full orb, a holistic heart. Not a divided attention between whatever it is, sex in particular, Inside, outside of marriage. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to see the depths of the division in our hearts? The same as you see in our hearts. Expose us, Lord. Transform us and may we hear what you have to say. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our culture thinks God's view of sex is restrictive. God says that we're to enjoy sex as long as he gets our undivided devotion. He has a plan for the beauty of sex and all that it's supposed to be in our, our undivided devotion to him. Let's be very clear here before we start. What is this marriage about is about? And for that, I want you to turn to some Jesus words in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 and 5. And that's on page 696 in the Red Bible. Matthew chapter four, uh, 19, verses 4 and 5. First of all, as you're turning there, I want to say this. God designed marriage and sex between a man and a woman for life. A husband and a wife for life. So Jesus is replying, and he's speaking here in Matthew chapter 9, and he says, 19... And he says these words, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female, he said. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man 
separate. So here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to find, in, uh, find a way sort of to circle the word male, circle the word father, and circle the word man. Then I would like for you to put a rectangle or a square around the word female. Put a square around the word mother. Put a rectangle or square around the word wife. Do you see what I'm doing here? There's a husband and a wife. There's a man and a woman. And Jesus is very clear. The scripture says that marriage in the Bible, sex in the Bible, is talking about one thing. And one thing only. That's a husband and wife together for life. And that's his plan. That's God's perfect plan. And that's the way he wants it. And although there are laws that say something different, God's word is very clear. What we're talking about here today is God's design for marriage between a man and a woman for life. Second, God designed the two to be one. So abuse, there is no such thing as abuse in a Christian marriage. Oh, yes, it happens because of sin and etc. There's not supposed to be anything uh, uh, adultery or, or betrayal, but there is because of sin. But look at how God designed this. The two become one flesh. Here's what we want to say right up front. If there's abuse in a marriage that you know this church is not embrace this church is not telling you to stay to to keep getting beat up. Nobody's telling saying that in a, in a body of believers. This pastor's not saying that. Here's what we are saying: is God designed marriage between one man and one woman for life. Then He says it's going to be two becoming one. There's no such thing as abuse in that kind of relationship. And when and if there is, there are things, there are options for you that we want to help you with and we want to walk you through. The third thing I want to say is sexual cohabitation outside of marriage is explicitly forbidden in the Bible. Nowhere in Scripture is that open, allowed, or talked about, or indicated as one option for a Christian in their lives digging right in paul answers three questions in this section of scripture in first corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 through 16 paul answers three questions look at the first verse in chapter 7 here's what it says uh, regarding the matters that you wrote about regarding the matters you wrote about so see what Paul is doing? Paul has received a letter from the Corinthian people, and now he's answering these questions. He doesn't explicitly lay those questions out for us, but we can determine them. The first one is, is, it, is sex generally good or bad? Generally speaking, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And here's why, because in their culture, there were a lot of people who spoke, as Dave talked about last week, about the body. About the physical body. And so there's the physical body. Is it evil or is it good or is it bad? And here's what, the, here's what Paul is trying to say. Uh, or, the, or the culture was trying to say. Is that the physical body is bad. And the only thing that can be spiritual is the immaterial. That's the only thing that can be good. So therefore, sex is bad too. Okay, it's a necessary thing for children and all that kind of, but it's, it's kind of dirty. It's kind of bad. And so there was this question that the Christians had. Is it good or bad? 
Second, is singleness or marriage preferred? Is singleness or marriage preferred? We're going to see that in verses 6 through 11. And third, in verses 12 through 16, we see, should a Christian be married to an unbeliever? Now, we know Christians don't marry unbelievers, but in this scenario, people were coming to Christ. And so a wife might come to Christ and the husband not be a believer. Now, what do we do here? And a Husband might come to life to Christ and and they're married to an unbeliever. Now, how does this marriage work? So Paul has some very specific directions and helps for us today. Problem is, I'm going to move so quickly through this because we have to get to the main event. And that is the story. You know, we sang this song. This is my story. This is my song. And I'm here today because God has done a restoration in my marriage. And in my heart. And Barbara and I are going to share that with you. I want you to keep thinking about these questions. Do you continue to do throughout this time a heart checkup on your devotion to the Lord? Are you abusing or avoiding sex? Both are wrong responses. Because of the answers to these questions. Are you wishing for a different kind of marital status? Well, one can be fulfilled. Here's the promise for you. One can be fulfilled whether a single or marriage, married, uh, being unsure of your role. What do I do? How do I share with the gospel with my spouse or my children who aren't believers? How does that work? This passage of scripture helps us with that. But we're going to go really fast. First of all, is sex bad or good? Look at verse 1 and 2. Now for the matters you wrote about, is it good for a man not to it is good for a man not to marry but since there is so much immorality each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband so in some versions of your bible you'll see that's very it's much more explicit here it's good for a man not to have sexual relations paul says in some versions here it's it's, it's explaining the fact that paul is saying you don't have to get married another way of saying it is is that it is very good sex is very very good inside of god's plan and it's very very bad outside of god's plan that's the bottom line of what we need to remember when it comes to this idea of sex inside of marriage i want us to look at verse three through five this one is about the authority of sex who has the rights to decide about sex in a marriage, in a relationship between a husband and a wife. We're just getting real here today, guys. We're just getting real, all right? But listen to these words. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time. You might read limited time. Why? So that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So here's my sort of hermeneutical connection. In verse 5, we have a connection with verse 35, don't we? The devotion. The devotion that we're talking about is in our hearts. So why would we not have 
sex? For devotion to the Lord. Why would we have it? For devotion to the Lord. It's both for the exact same reasons. Now let me finish verse 5. It says this. Um, So that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I want you to continue to read these verses very carefully. Here's what it's not saying. This does not say that one spouse has to give you sex when you want it. Be very careful. Be, read this very carefully. Look at it. One's wife doesn't control her own body. One husband doesn't control his own. But it's a mutual type of thing. Okay? It's very important for you to see that. Look at the second part of verse 5. It's clearly stated here, there is a good reason not to have sex in marriage once in a while for a limited time only. Devotion to prayer. Third, in the third part of verse 5, it says this. Satan wants to get in the middle of marital oneness. And why does Satan want to get there? He wants to destroy This thing on earth that points to the glory and the majesty of God. I'm going to tell you a little bit about more about that in just a minute. Okay, how does this work, guys? How does it work when not night, not tonight, honey, I have a headache. How does it work? I mean, we just got to talk about it. It, it, Is it just me or is it just right here? So this is God bringing it to the reality. How does it work? What if I what if it worked this way? What if one spouse has a part with undivided devotion to the Lord? And what if the other spouse is kind of wishy-washy? All right? And so now it comes to this time when this possible amount, possible to have uh, these intimate relationships. And, and so one of the spouses is full-on devoted to the Lord, and the other one is kind of like, no, I don't know so much, whatever. And maybe yes, maybe no, let's go for this. Oh, wait, I'm not sure. And kind of back and forth. Think about this. Think about this scenario. It actually kind of works beautifully. Here's, here's the deal. The person with a heart with undivided devotion to the Lord, shows up to this situation fully fulfilled in the Lord. And guess what? They don't need sex. They don't need it. Why? Because they're fully fulfilled in the Lord. What a beautiful picture. Undivided devotion to the Lord. And when I have that, I don't need my wife to fulfill my needs. I don't need her. I've got the David. They've said it best. He said, geez, God is enough. You said that God is enough. Do we believe that? How about in marriage and intimacy and all of this? So when there's a disagreement, how about this? It's about we, not me. It's about we, not me. So I don't get to decide. You don't get to decide. We decide what's beautiful and that's what it's all about here isn't it it doesn't mean every single problem is always solved because that's the definition of marriage all right for just a second entertain me everybody put your hand up have you ever been sexually frustrated yes okay you put your hand down now for marriage 
Married couples. Married couples. Nobody, don't, don't anybody raise your hand here. Here's, here's what we want to say. No, no loser's policy. Have, have you ever felt like a loser in your sexual relationship? I mean, ah, struggle, it's hard. How do I go about this? What, what we like to talk about is it's about we, not about me. So there, if it's about we, there's no loser's policy. And if you can kind of keep in your mind, and, and God has an answer. God has an answer because he's enough. Joseph. Joseph is my example. Joseph is your example. Joseph is our example. You remember his brothers sold him to be slaves in Egypt? Okay, so first of all, I got bad problems in my background. Joseph has bad. This is this is tough. This is hard to deal with stuff from family. Now I'm Hundreds of miles away, I'm in a foreign place, and all of a sudden, because I do a good job, now I'm being seduced by my master's beautiful, voluptuous, sexual wife. And what do I do? Do I have undivided devotion to the Lord? Or how, what's going on inside of my heart? You know, think about this. What is the last thing that Joseph remembers when he's carted off to prison? Why is he carted off to prison? For not having sex with her. What is everybody saying? Because he tried to rape her. So there she is, probably lying on her bed, probably partially unclad. What's, what's, what's burning on the brain of a male at this point? Guys, we don't forget this stuff. And there it is, and Joseph for two years is in prison. And the last thing he remembers, if I, what if I, if I would have just had sex with her, I probably wouldn't be in this mess right now. Do you, you do that. Our brains do that. Guys, shake your head, yes, because it does, right? Our brains do this. And Joseph didn't. Joe, why? Because God, with his grace, gave him undivided devotion to the Lord. And for two years, here's what we know. Joseph kept his heart on the Lord. How do we know? Because he was given rights and privilege. He was a leader in the prison. And then as soon as he comes out of that, he's put into leadership in the whole country of Egypt. Joseph is the reason that you can do it. God's work in Joseph. God's work in you. God's work in all of us. What if you showed up filled up? You showed up filled up. That would help you in your marriage. um, You're devoted to the Lord. Real quick, in verses 6 through 11, is singleness or marriage preferred? Is singleness or marriage preferred? Why? This question is really only coming up mostly because of Paul himself. In verse 6 and 7, we read these words. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from the Lord. One has this gift, another has that. Paul was single. Paul had the gift of singleness. And Paul says, it's in order for me to have full undivided devotion to the Lord, I have the gift of singleness. Verse 7, we're reminded, we read here. I wish that all were as I am. 
But there's a gift. Not all people are like Paul. Not all people are like each other. So which is the gift that God has given you to exploit, to use for undivided devotion to the Lord? Which one? Well, if you're single, it's singleness for now, okay? Does that make sense? If you're single, you have the gift of singleness, at least for now. Until God brings you into marriage. Boy, I didn't learn that lesson. It messed me up. Messed me up. Verse 8. If you're single, you are free to remain single or to get married. Now, to the married and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. If you're single, you're free to remain single or get married. Let me read verse 9. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Interesting in verse 9 here, it talks about this burning with passion. And we always think of men. Men struggle with this passion for sex and that kind of thing. But in verse 8, who does he write to? Singles and widows. Women have it too, guys. You guys have it as well, don't you? There's a burning, there's a passion, and here's what God does. God says, I'm going to give you the gift of singleness until I give you the gift of marriage. Okay? And in that transition, that's a struggle time. That's a difficult time, but you focus and you work through it and you keep your heart undivided to the Lord, undivided devotion to him. And in that undivision, in that pure, in that holistic heart, what you have is you have a you have a freedom and a deliverance. What gift do you have? Singles have the gift of singleness until they're married. But here's the question. Have you received that gift? Have you taken it? Have you held on to it? That's that's what I didn't do. I had the gift. I just didn't hold on to it. I abused my sexuality. I went around lying to people, telling them I was pure, acting like I was pure, deceiving myself, deceiving others. Quickly, verse 10. To the married, I give this command. Not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. Marriage is a great option for singles, but not divorce for the married. This sentence is intentionally awkward. I wrote it intentionally awkward. Is it on a screen somewhere? Marriage is... No, probably not. Listen carefully. Marriage is a great option for singles, but not divorce for the married. Right? You got to track with me here. Divorce is not the best option, the first choice, the preference for married people. But it does happen, doesn't it? It happens. Look all around us. Every, all of us have somebody in our family who faced it, some friends all around us. People we're sitting with today, people were, it's just struggle. It's all around us. But if divorced, you now have the gift of singleness. Look at verse 11. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. 
if you're divorced, you have the gift of singleness at least until God re gets you remarried. Preferably remarried to the one that you just divorced. Now, I want you to do, your, do a checkup on your, on your devotion to the Lord here. Men, two-thirds of you use porn regularly. So, look around the room. Two out of three. Two out of three. Three-fourths of you struggle with it. So three, three out of four of you struggle. Here, this is the statistics. I'm sorry, guys. This is real life stuff. And so what God is doing is, where's your heart? I, I want to restore. I want to heal. I want to forgive. I want to deal. I want to bring your divided heart into a single one heart so you can worship me. Girls, you struggle with modesty. I know you do. I had three daughters. I, I, I don't understand it. But I've watched it a little bit. There's, there's nothing like just getting a glance, is there? There's nothing like just, just receiving that attention. And, and you get that from cleavage. You get that from tight clothes show, showing off all those bulges. You get that from rear-end enhancing dresses and tight jeans. You get it, don't you? Shake your head, ladies, because I know it. Come on now, guys. God says, I want to I want to bring you a whole heart. I want to bring you an undivided heart. I want to heal that. I want to restore that. I want to rebuild you. I want to help you. I want to love you. I want you to have everything that you need from me because your pastor said it. God is enough. God is enough. Finally, should a Christian be married to an unbeliever? Again, what happened here in this verse, in these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, is that there's a revival going on in this town of Corinth. A bunch of pagans everywhere, and some people are coming to the Lord. And so one spouse comes to Christ and the other one doesn't. So now their question is, do I stay married to this guy? Do I divorce this gal? What about my kids? How does this work? And Paul writes these Words we're going to read from verse 12 through 16. Now, hang on. You got to engage. You got to engage. You got to get your brain on here. Okay, look at this page of scripture. It's on page 809 in the Red Bible. Verse 12. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband or do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Anybody confused? Pastor Dave's going to answer all your questions next week. Here's what I want to say. Stay married, if at all possible, if you are married. 
That's the principle that we're learning here, right? I want to add, never marry knowingly, never, if you're single, never knowingly marry an unbeliever. Staying in your marriage might bring your children and your spouse to the Lord. That's your summary. But we need to move on quickly. Continue to do a heart check. I'm going to bring my wife up here and we're going to tell our story about how God gets honor in the messiness of the marriage of sinners. God has a way, we'll move closer, okay? God has a way of doing all kinds of wonderful things in marriages um, despite the fact that we're messed up. Maybe it's because the fact that we're messed up. Um, for me, it was, it was um, 26 years of lying, 27 years of lying to Barbara about my past, about my fornication, sinful fornication, and about an adulterous affair early in our marriage. And so what happened was, is that as a pastor, I was pretty good on the outside. Everybody thought I was doing all right. But at home, I was horrible. I was tragic. I mean, I was harsh. I was angry. I was um, somehow, I don't know how, I wasn't violent. But God, but I was just driven by this shame from my past. And I wasn't dealing with it. And I was putting it all on you. Finally, one day, we, 25 years into marriage, so I'd known her for two years, so 27 years of lying. Finally, one day, we went and got some help. And there, I began the process of confessing my past and my sin. And in doing that, God began to heal and restore and forgive and deliver this messy marriage between these sinners. And God began to forgive. He, he, he gave me the gift of repentance. He gave Barbara the gift of forgiveness. And so in our now marriage that had been going for for 25 years, God begins to restore. He begins to heal. We deal with past. It, for me, is all about attention and acceptance. So for some reason, this idea of just needing that from people, wanting that from everyone around. And then, for, so didn't get something at home, wanted something. Maybe it was sex. Maybe it was what attention. Maybe it was whatever. And then all of a sudden, I'm spun out, Right? But what was it? It wasn't because I didn't get anything. It was because for me, God wasn't enough. And this shame and this past was just coming back up in my life. And I was spewing it upon you and upon Alina and upon our other two daughters. Kept it mostly in the home. But it, then it started to come out. And God began to reveal and heal. We went to um, National Institute of Marriage. And in that setting... Um, God began to forgive and help, and I began to confess my sins 
and God began to restore. How'd that hit you? Well, I was, is this on? Yep. Naturally, I was devastated. Um, the anger, I had always thought, oh, I, it's me. I'm not a good enough wife. I don't do things right. So I would try better, jump higher, try harder. But that didn't help. It just made his anger worse. But God began to do a work in my heart to show me that I needed to be completely devoted to him. And so as I began that process of prayer in my life, um, I began serving Jordan in different ways and began seeing some of my own selfishness and began to put some of that down at the cross. But in that process was when some of his shame began to creep up pretty strong, which is what brought all of this to a head. And at National Institute of Marriage, here we were off in Georgia with people we didn't know, and the truth came to, to begin to come out. And I had no idea what to do. So I opened my word of God, this Bible I had with me, and I began to read in the Psalms. I just went to the only thing I knew to go to. That was God's word. And I prayed three things. God, please protect my heart from bitterness and resentment. Because I don't want to be that lady that's bitter and resentful. And I know I'll go there if you don't help me. Number two, I said, God, please use this for your glory. Because this has marred your name. And I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. So please change this situation to use it for your glory. And number three, heal our marriage and take this and use it in some good way. But heal us. Heal our hearts. Heal my heart. Heal Jordan's heart. And this is before I knew all of the information. This is just at the very beginning. And it was a long, hard journey. Um, a lot of prayer. A lot of prostrating ourselves before the Lord. I remember getting up and waking up in the morning at 5 a.m. with an aching heart thinking, is this the new reality in my life? Is this really real? And then crawling into my closet, closing the door, and going to the one safe place I could. And that was before my Heavenly Father, who became my new bridegroom. He became my Heavenly Bridegroom. And that became my safety and my solace. And then in that process, we began to heal. Slowly, but definitely healing process came. And I'll just share the verse that, that meant so much to me. I'm stuck. And that was um, Psalm 119. Um, oftentimes I go to this verse. And that is Psalm 1971. My suffering was good for me because it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in silver and gold. May all who fear you find in me a cause for joy, for I have put my hope in your word. And all of a sudden, God's word became my hope. It became my everything. I couldn't, couldn't live without it. And I began to learn about my own issues of fear and control and surrendering those to the Lord, seeing where I needed to grow and I needed to change too. 
And God has done a great miracle in us. Not in me, not in him, but also in us. Four years later, I uh, applied for a pastor position at a church. We met with the elders on a, you know how elders, they always meet. What's up with you guys, six in the morning or some crazy hour like that? And there we, so we come in there and the, the very first question was to Barbara was, so do you trust him? Do you trust him? And the world stopped for a moment, really, because if she said, no, I'm not getting this job, right? How is this going to work? And she said, no, I don't trust him. She said, but I do trust the Lord. And he is be demonstrating trustworthy. Now, I should probably let you tell the story. But, okay, so, but anyway, I got hired. God did a miracle of restoring. And little by little, he's restored us and he's brought us back. We were in a small group of people. You know, in the middle of all this, they kept us. They didn't kick us out. Wow, thank the Lord for, that's the biblical community. That's, that's what God does. With, that's what church is about, right? That's the fellowship of believers. And a year later, he said to us, let's do a study on marriage. And oh, what about this material? What about this material? Jordan and Barbara, share with us what you've learned. And then they said, take this on the road. <laughs> we should take it on the road. But we meet with couples now. For us, it's a joy just to be able to say, here's what God taught us. And here's what you can have. Probably one of our greatest compliments that I can remember is one of our kids said, yeah, something to the effect that we like a marriage that's like yours. We'd like a marriage that's like yours. Because what God has done, he's taken that brokenness and brought healing and forgiveness and restoration. What else do you want to say? What I'd like for you guys to do is uh, thank my wife for being up here. I'd like you to track with me for just a second here from, from Genesis to Revelation. I just mean just a second. You know, God, God created the heavens and the earth and the moon and stars. Hey, it's good. It's good. Remember that? It's good. You remember that, right? And then he, then he comes to uh, man and he said, it's, something's not good. It's not good that man be alone. And remember what he said, let us make man in our image, male and female, let us make him. So in our image, God creates then man. He says, it's good, it's good. All these things, good. it's not good. He brings Eve, he puts her to sleep, brings, brings Eve to Adam and said, this is very good. Remember that part? So this is very good. So something special here about this very goodness of bringing a husband and a wife together. Do you think it's connected to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Oh, yes, it is. As we track through the Bible, what we see then, Exodus, uh, Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel 16 is this amazing passage where God comes to Israel and she is wallowing in blood and she's she's messed up and she's broken and battered and turned. And he comes and he cleans her up and he puts his puts his blanket, puts his cover over her and he marries her. 
Something's very special there about God and Israel. God and his people. Then we track through, we see Hosea, don't we? You know that book of the Bible where the prophet is supposed to marry a prostitute? You remember that part? And so what something's going on here about marriage, God has big stuff in mind for the union and the marriage, the covenant between a husband and a wife. Because what it looks like is his covenant between himself and his people. And so he demonstrates that with a prophet marrying a prostitute. And she goes and she, she prostitutes herself over and over again. And, and Hosea is called to go back and called to bring her back again and again. And he says, this is a picture of me. God says, this is a picture of me and my people Israel. And I go after because why? Because there's a covenant and this covenant is real, and this covenant is special, and this is cov- cov- covenant is uh, binding, never to be broken. And how does he finish the Old Testament? Remember, God hates divorce. What's up with that? It's ringing in our ears as Jesus enters, as Jesus enters 400 years later, as Jesus enters the, the stage of the world, and he, and, he, and he speaks those words we read in Matthew 19. Remember that? The two will become one flesh. Where did he get that? Ah, Genesis chapter 2, remember? It's good. It's very good. The two become one flesh. And Paul picks up on that, doesn't he? And he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. There's that S word. Wives, submit to your husbands. As the church is supposed to submit to Christ. And he says, but there's a greater mystery than this. It's the union of Christ and the church. So now it's moved from God and his people to Christ and the church. And this is a special thing that marriage all of a sudden is part of that. It's a great mystery, but there's a bigger mystery. There's a bigger mystery. It's Christ and the church. You know what? We often read and remember that Jesus said there won't be marriage like this in heaven. Well, here's what we know. There is marriage in heaven. And that marriage is eternal, and that marriage is long-lasting, and that marriage is forever. And that's the one that we're talking about today. Because the reason this marriage here on this earth is so important and so vital and so critical is because that one lasts forever. Because that one is eternal. In Revelation, we see a party, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll be at a reception banquet forever celebrating Christ and the church as believers who trust in him and depend upon him. And so from Genesis to Revelation, we see this amazing idea of the fact that a husband, a Christian man and a Christian woman in this world point to God's amazing community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's also the reason why it's so hard. Because Satan can't touch that, but he goes after the thing on this earth that points and reflects that. The marriage of a Christian man and a Christian woman. Satan hates it. So he's going after it. He's going to try to get in the middle of it. What is it? Sex for you? What is it? Finances for you? What's the situation in your marriage? He's going after it. He's coming. He's trying to get between you. He's trying to destroy you. What is it, single person? Is it, is, it, is it masturbation? What is it? What is it, porn? Is it this immodesty? What's struggling? 
It's God wants your undivided heart because he's pointing to the majesty of an eternal marriage and his glory. That's forever. Barbara and I are um, moving into uh, a, a different kind of work in uh, we're going, we're going into missions, actually. We're going to be traveling and training pastors. And this summer, we went to Sri Lanka and India. We we're training pastors and kind of amazing multiplication effect. We, 236 pastors we were able to, to bless and be a part of. And, and you kind of get your head around that. But um, there's something bigger going on for this trip that we took. They called us and said, meet us in New Delhi. That's pretty significant. That's where my adultery happened. We lived in New Delhi, India. Our oldest daughter was born there. That's where I betrayed my wife. Meet us in New Delhi. Okay, triggers. Okay, let's deal with that. Let's pray together. Let's lock arms. We were able to spend some time in New Delhi. We were able to take back ground. We were able to see God restore us. And God did this amazing thing for us in that time, didn't he? But it even got better. We were there. We were with some of our, our Hindu friends. People who would say, we don't, we don't know what we think of Jesus. Maybe Jesus is like another God. Maybe he's just kind of like Krishna, kind of like Ganesh, kind of like, like another one of the Hindu gods. We meet with these guys. How can we share the gospel with them one more time? How can we get the truth to their hearts one more time? Late at night at dinner, we shared with them our story of my story of adultery, our story of God's healing. What is the difference between Jesus bloody on the cross paying for my sin and Krishna playing a flute. Do you see a difference? Yes. And not only that, but Jesus, like Pastor said, he rose from the dead to give us life. Will you receive that? Live in your gift and follow undivided devotion to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we worship you. We bow before you to, um, to just depend upon you. Lord, uh, you know our hearts. And there's all kinds of divisions in our hearts. And we need your help for wholeness and restoration and healing and oneness. So would you help us? And would you restore us? Thank you for the work of grace you've done in my life, in Barbara's life, in our marriage, in our family. Thank you for forgiveness. May we recognize your grace. May we live with wholehearted, undivided devotion to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.